Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. You know, churches always lean, you know, into something. They're leaning one way or the other. Uh, some churches will lean totally into the Word. And it's okay, but it's a little dry, to be honest. And and it's all about what the Word says, but there's not much of the Spirit. And, um, you know, that's that's not that great. I, I think it can we can have more, you know. And then there will be maybe some other churches... Maybe it's been your experience, and I'm not trying to be critical. It's just the reality of the world that we live in, that they lean all the way to the Spirit. And uh, yeah, that's wild. You know, that's where things get deep, real deep, like way too deep, like throw them a life raft or something. You know, like they are deep in the Spirit, but they, they don't actually balance out. Maybe it's the things of the Spirit with the Word of God. So when I talk about the Word, I'm really talking about the Bible. And so, you know, I, I, I think, do we really have to live in a world where we needed to choose one or the other? You know, I think of the old El Paso ad, Poco no los dos. Um, yeah. And so you didn't know that. Many of you didn't know I could speak Spanish. Well, I can. And all of my Spanish comes from Taco, uh, you know, not Taco Bell. What's it called? Old El Paso ads. So uh, I don't know if you remember it, but it says, why not have both? And I figure, why not have both? We can have uh, Word and Spirit. And I think if we have Word and Spirit, what we end up with is maturity. Imagine having all of the Word, the, the understanding of God's Word, but you don't understand the things of the Spirit. How can you truly be mature? And so I think we want to have maturity as, as followers of Jesus. But in addition to that, you know what I really want is that when people come to church, it's not like you needed a preacher to get up and say, hey, God is here, just in case you weren't aware. You want that kind of dynamic where people go, oh, we knew, we know. He's, no one had to tell me. No one had to inform me that God was in the building. The presence was there. And, and, and we get that. We sense that. So when God's presence, because everyone knows that God is omnipresent, which means that He's everywhere, right? But when He manifests His presence, um, that's a different thing entirely. So the manifest presence of God means that it's so plain and obvious that we can feel it and know it without having to talk to each other and just get confirmation on whether He's really here or not. So we want people to experience the reality of God. And sometimes when the Spirit of God manifests His presence, you know what? That's a gift, right? It's beautiful. It's a gift. When the Spirit of God manifests His presence, it's a gift. The, the, the Spirit of God manifests His presence in different ways. And we actually do call those things spiritual gifts. And I want to share a message with you guys this morning. Are spiritual gifts for you? Just look at the person next to you and say, a spiritual gift for you? Now turn to your second choice and say, sorry that you weren't number one on my list. And say, a spiritual gift for you? Okay, there's no offense in church, okay? Forgive that person right now in Jesus' name. All right, our spiritual gifts for you. You know, years ago, I, I used to have a job where I stood in shopping centers trying to sell charity to people. Yeah, I know, I know. It's embarrassing, you know, but I, I did do it. You know, guys, you know what? Every now and then you do the job to get the job that you need to get the job that you want. So it's like way back down the list, but you've got to start somewhere, okay? It doesn't matter where you start, it matters where you finish. And so anyway, this was my job. And I remember I was in Oakley and I was um, trying to get people to um, sign up for something. I don't even know what it was, uh, but because we had a whole bunch of them. Them, but trying to sign up for some charity and so this uh, little old lady came by 
And she said, oh, hello, what are you doing here? And, you know, I was explaining the, the charity to her, not trying to sign her up or anything, you know, she's a bit too old for that. But, um, you know, trying to sign her up. Well, she was, she was quite old. And so it, anyway, come on, like, wouldn't it be worse if I did? Like I convinced this little old lady, you're laughing like, that's a good thing to do, right, guys? Anyway, we're not taking advantage of anyone, all right? Anyway, so I, I, we're talking and, and somehow it comes out, I'm a Christian, she's a Christian, you know. And uh, she said, oh, so what church do you go to? And at the time I went to, you know, Activate Church. And so I said, oh, I go to Activate Church. And she went, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> well, la-dee-da, where do you go, lady? You know, and so I said, I said what, do you, what do you mean it's a shame? She goes, it's a shame you're not part of the true church, the real one. And I said, I said, what's the real church? And she goes, the real church is founded on the rock. I'm like, Jesus, no, Peter. And I thought, oh, I think I know where this is going. And uh, you know the scripture that, you know, Jesus said, hey, you are Peter. And on, you know, and so I wa- what I wanted to say to her was, lady, when Jesus said, I will build my church on, on the rock, it wasn't Peter. Why would God build his church on a guy that had his foot in, in his mouth half the time when Jesus was alive, right? He's not balancing the kingdom on this guy called Peter and saying, geez, I hope it works, right? He's not building it on Peter. He's building it on the revelation that Peter had, which is who Jesus Christ is, right? See, if you don't have revelation of who Jesus is, there's no ministry. So what I really wanted to say is, lady, it was the revelation of Jesus Christ, not Peter, but she was pretty old and I think she was saved, so I let her off the hook. Anyway, <laughs> I just let her go. But what does the real church look like? When I say the word church, I know it can be confusing because, you know, we say that we are in a church right now. There'd be some people, I'm sure, from different movements or maybe backgrounds or experiences that would walk in and say, this isn't a church. Where's the statue? Where are the candles? You know, because they have a paradigm of what church is. But the church, as so many of you know, it's not a building, it's God's people. So what we're really saying is, what do God's people really look like when you meet them? What are God's people really like? What is the authentic People of God, what do they do? What do they say? How do we know? Well, the way that I think about it is if you want to know what something's meant to look like, you should start with the model. You got to start with the model. You got to start with what it looks like, right? Okay, so, you know, years ago, especially when the kids were little, I used to love buying them Lego and they would say, Dad, could you help me? And I would say, Yes. And then I would fully take over and they'd say, dad, can I help you? I'm like, back off. This is my thing now, you know? And so uh, like, cause you're like, don't mess up. This is getting, it's getting complicated on page 15. All right. So, so you, you're into this thing and you build it. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you get, you get to page 15 and you go, gosh, this is not fitting. You know, this doesn't look right. And so what do you do? You don't, you don't flick back a page. You go back to the box and you look at the box and you're like, geez, mine one doesn't look like the one on the box, you know, and you realize that somewhere between here and there, you've made a mistake. You're gonna have to go back and undo what you did to fix the whole thing. It's meant to look like something. And I think that when it comes to the church, it's exactly the same. Now, when we are wanting to check the model, where do we look? The Word of God. Because in this, we see the model for church, right? 
Yeah, about four or five of you is saying, yeah, that's good, all right? And most of you follow Jesus. So guys, if you want to know, if we're trying to find out what the real thing looks like, what do we do? We read what the Scriptures say about what the church is meant to look like. In other words, the church or, or the Bible is our model for church. Can we agree on that? Right. The problem is, is that people sometimes don't have experiences that measure up with or perhaps match with what they read. And that starts to be an issue when to explain the lack of these things, they start to develop a belief system around the lack of things between their personal experience and what they see in the Word of God. Then they project their personal experience onto other people and say, God doesn't do this and God doesn't do that. Well, that is a bit of a problem and I'll explain it in a really easy to understand way. For Christian people, our faith hinges, Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, you guys are doomed. All of you and me, our sin is not forgiven. God doesn't have the power to raise Christ from the dead, which means we are crazy because we are basing our life, not just our eternity, but our very lives on that thing. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have personally seen someone raised from the dead? Right, now how foolish would it be to go ahead and develop a doctrine to support your personal experience? Because if you ever do that, you are in big trouble because our faith hinges on that fact. So you can't develop doctrine out of your own personal experience. Do you know what we do as Christian people? We actually do develop some doctrines out of what we see as God's church, as God's community, as His called out people. So here's my thing. If you're a Christian, you must believe that the dead can be raised because that is the entry point into being a Christian. Right? So if you believe that that's true, well, what can't the Spirit do after that? Seriously, what can't He do after that? If God's able to raise someone from the dead, I mean, that's as bleak as it gets, amen? So if God's able to raise someone from the dead, what can't He do? When it comes to healing, can He do that? Prophecy, can He do that? You know, let's just get all encompassing. Miracles, can God do miracles? Yeah, of course he can. If he's able to raise someone from the dead, then the way I see it is the sky is the limit because he's able to do all things. And I'll tell you right now, it's been my personal experience that I have seen these things. I have witnessed these things. I have prayed for people and seen lumps and bumps disappear. I have prayed for people and they had the scan one week and said, the doctors told me I've got this. And then we prayed for them. And then they came back the next week and they said, I went to the doctor. So not like a hope and a prayer, guys. Not like, oh, you know, maybe you just felt a bit better and, you know, the temperature adjusted in the room and you felt more comfortable or something like that. No, 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 no. I mean, the scan came back and said, you don't have this anymore. And so things happen. Miracles happen. I had a friend of mine who prayed for someone in their church because they, they were blind in one eye. Now, there are sometimes things happen in people's bodies and it's hidden. You can't see it because it's internal. But when somebody is blind, you know. They prayed for this person. Three days later, they were walking down on the streets of Bangkok. And as they were walking down, 
their eyes suddenly opened and they could see, to which they screamed out loud. People looked at them like they were crazy, but they were just praising God because they could see. What I'm saying is there was the optic nerve was disconnected and suddenly it was reattached, walking down the street three days after prayer. Come on, God deserves some praise, amen. Now, not everything that you pray for gets healed. Like that's been my experience. Not every single prayer that I've prayed has come to fruition. But I'll tell you something right now. You're going to see a lot more prayers get answered when you have faith that God does do these things. If you approach God and suppose that He's not going to do it, you have a total lack of faith, I suspect that you won't see much happen in your life. So it's a really kind of interesting thing because the experience backs up your faith, but your faith leverages the experience. You've got to start somewhere, guys. But if you've got faith that Jesus was raised from the dead, you've got enough faith to believe that God's able to do the impossible. Can we agree on that right now? Let me read a scripture to you out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, Do not quench, which means to put out the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Don't put the Spirit out. Next verse. Do not despise prophecies. Don't despise them. Who would despise prophecy? Oh, well, maybe someone that's had a bad experience with one. Maybe someone's had a word that was spoken over them, didn't come to fruition. And as a direct result, they started to despise prophecy because it gave them hope in an area that wasn't realized. And they've come to hate the things of God. Maybe the reason why people despise prophecies is because they don't hear from God and they, they, they maybe lack a little bit of discernment. And so when they see someone else doing something that they can't, they immediately are inspired with a spirit of jealousy, not the Holy Spirit. And they go, well, I can't hear it. So if I can't, you can't and we can't. And that's the way it is. And don't talk about this stuff ever again. Who would despise prophecy? Who wants to quench the Spirit? Who wants the Spirit of God to not be working on the earth today? Come on, I think we could agree that we all want to see that happen. Amen? You know, in first century Christianity, in the first century when they were planting churches, spiritual gifts were just common practice. Like we talk about these things like it's, wow, are you kidding? Right? But, but for them, it was totally normal. Miracles, normal. God moving on people and healing people, normal. They were seeing it everywhere. In fact, commentators say this, that it was common in all the churches. Everyone was just seeing miracles and that. If you went to a church in first century Christianity and they weren't experiencing signs and they weren't experiencing wonders, they probably would have asked the question, what's wrong with this picture? Why is this stuff not happening? And the only reason that we know more about spiritual gifts was because there was a couple of churches that were trying to figure out how to use them and they were getting it wrong. So the church sometimes gets it wrong and sometimes they need to figure out how to integrate spiritual gifts into the normal life and so it's not a completely crazy thing. And so that, that's why Paul writes some letters. Listen, this is common. This is common, all right? 
So one of the reasons we know lots about speaking in tongues is because they wrote letters to explain to people how that gift should function in the church because evidently they were having problems with it. People were getting super spiritual. They were just talking in tongues and everyone thought, listen, if you do that and a new person walks into church, they're going to think you're a wacko. So stop doing it, right? He said, it's better if you prophesy because at least that builds up the church. But if you're going to speak in tongues, at least have someone present that can interpret because it becomes like prophecy and that builds up the church. Do you see where I'm going? So, so th- there are some problematic things sometimes with spiritual gifts and people don't understand it. It's the exact same thing with communion. Why do we know so much about communion? Well, it wasn't because everyone got it right. It was because the church was getting it completely wrong. And Paul thought, well, geez, I better write to you to explain how to actually take communion properly, its purpose and what's it all about. So he wrote that letter. So you can see that there's a bunch of things that were happening in first century that the church was really trying to figure out how does this work? What does it look like? Thank God they had those problems. Works for me because now I can read and get really clear on what it's supposed to look like, right? All right. So Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth and he's explaining spiritual gifts to them. I want to read it to you. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 11. To each is given the manifestation. The word manifest means to make something plain and obvious. Like I said at the start, when God is present, you don't have to tell someone, oh, I think God's here. They just know. All right. So to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The the Spirit manifesting in your life or my life is meant to be for the common good. It's not so you can do party tricks at home by yourself. If someone gets the gift of healing and keeps it to themselves, I'm going to have a problem with that, you know, because we need it. Like, If you've got the gift of healing and you reckon it's just for every now and then when you stub your toe and you're like, oh, oh, oh thank God, and keep going, right? <laughs> Guys, honestly, think bigger. That gift could operate so much further than your stubbed toe. I have done that on many occasions, so I wish I could have just anyway it doesn't matter so it says that they're for the common good for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom so it's just a gift of wisdom to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit it's a manifestation of the spirit of God to another faith by the same spirit now you know everyone has faith if you believe in God right you have to you know to believe in God you have to have faith that's the entry point for asking God into your heart. So when it talks about the Spirit manifesting as faith, this is something that we call the gift of faith. And the gift of faith is a good one to have because it leverages a bunch of other things. So if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea and it will. So if you've got the gift of faith, it moves mountains, right? Okay, so this is not just standard faith. This is the gift of faith. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, uh, working of miracles. To another, uh, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Uh, To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Well, would you look at that? The Spirit of God is a person, because it's called him he, and he's got a will. 
The Spirit of God chooses how He wants to manifest His presence in different people's lives. And I think one of the reasons why the Spirit of God does that is so that we don't see superstars walking around that have everything and other people have nothing. No, everyone has at least one spiritual gift. You might not know what it is, but it's there somewhere. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will have this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you won't have this because these things become the manifestation of the Spirit of God in you to get that. What's the first step? You need to give your life to Jesus. It's pretty obvious. So 2,000 years later, You look around at the church today, and guys, I want to be honest, not to be critical. I have no intention of being critical, but let's be honest. We don't see this happening in every church, right? Right? We don't see this happening in every church. We don't see the gifts operating in in all churches. And I think there's probably a good reason for that. You know, people have personal experiences that don't line up with what the Word of God says, And they have to develop some kind of support of of their personal experience. They have to develop a, a way of thinking about God. Let's say a belief system about God that supports their personal experience. Because in their minds, they're thinking, well, it's, it's obviously not me. It must be God. If I'm not seeing these things, it's not me, it's God. So let's explain how God works now in the absence of these things. We call that doctrine. And there are movements that have created entire doctrines around the fact that God doesn't move in spiritual gifts, that God doesn't move the way that He did in the Bible. And we call people that believe in that cessationists. They believe that the ceasing of the gifts stopped after the first century and that we don't have those things anymore. And one of the reasons why people lean into that is because, you know, at different points in church history, great church leaders have arisen and have professionally explained the absence of those things in such a way that it makes people that don't have them feel comfortable and it is adopted as a position on how God works and how God operates. But I remember Paul, the apostle, wrote and he said, some say I follow, you know, Paul, some say I follow Apollos, some say they follow Peter. And I think his point was, Stop talking about the person that you're following and go back to the box and look at the model. We're meant to be following what Jesus did. We're meant to be following what Jesus taught, what He said. So I wonder if Paul could continue to write throughout the ages. I wonder if he would say, some follow Peter, some follow Paul, some follow Apollos, some follow Calvin. Yeah, some people follow Luther, some people follow MacArthur. Now guys, I'm not, these guys are smart guys, developed incredible doctrines, right? But they're cessationists. So you can't lean into everything that's said. I know John MacArthur has written a study Bible, but in that study Bible, you will find an absence of the presence of God that moves in the spirit today. Just, just because you write a book doesn't mean that it should be read necessarily. You might have a revelation and you might be really sincere. You just might be sincerely wrong. And if I look at the Scriptures and I go, well, if I look at the original model and say, hey, what does the model say? Go back to the box, everyone. In first century Christianity, this stuff happened. 
Let's not become professional explainers of the absence of God and develop doctrines that support what we don't see. Let's look at what God says He can do and go after that instead. Amen. I kind of look at this and I think, why would we need the gifts any less now than they needed in the first century? You know, the belief system that undergirds that God doesn't move like He did in the Scriptures in, in those days. The belief system that undergirds that was that in the first century, we were starting out and we needed a lot of help. So God gave us a leg up. He gave us a helping hand. But after this first century, we were pretty good. You guys read church history? Oh my goodness. Like, why would we not need the Spirit's help today? As if we don't need the Spirit of God to manifest spiritual gifts so that the kingdom of God can continue to advance. Listen, there are more people on planet Earth right now that need saving than there were at the time when Jesus was alive because the population has increased. There are simply more people on the planet. Why would we not need this stuff now? I, I, I look at it and to me, it, it doesn't make sense. Why quench the Spirit? Why try to put out what God is doing? It's weird how people get offended by this stuff. Certainly, probably not outside the church. What's even weirder is that Christian people sometimes get offended by this stuff. I can't fathom why. God's doing something great and someone's going to go, yeah, but do they really know their doctrine? Uh, let me explain it. Right now, there is a revival breaking out in Asbury. I believe it's in Kentucky. I keep saying Texas, but I think it's in Kentucky. Okay, so my geography might not be great, but I can tell you in a place called Asbury, God knows where it is, the Spirit knows where it is, and it's breaking out. Thousands of students are coming and giving their hearts and lives to Jesus. Miracles are happening. Seriously, God is really moving. Well, I couple, follow a couple of pages on, on, on Facebook just to see what the other side says. <laughs> True. And, and they're like just critiquing this thing and they're poking holes in it going, yeah, but what's their doctrine like? Probably not great, actually. How, let me ask you a question. When you gave your life to Jesus, how did that happen? The Spirit of God came and convicted you. No one could say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. So people say, God's not alive. He's not real. And then they go, He is real. How did that happen? Spirit of God came upon a person and awakened them to that reality. And they gave their life to Jesus. Many of you have done this. When God convicted you, I don't know how He did that to you, but I was weeping when it happened, right? How good was your theology in that moment? Probably not that great. Was it required? No. Let me tell you how this stuff works. The Spirit works on a person's heart and that person gets convicted of the reality of God. And after they become a Christian, they start to read the Word to bring clarity to how the Spirit does things. But it started with him and then it can, you know, along the way, he continues to speak, but oftentimes he speaks through the word. It's like spirit, word, spirit, word, spirit, word. It kind of happens like that. So you know what? In revival, it's messy. In revival, yeah, probably people don't have all their doctrine right, but that's the job of the church. Those who are mature should come along and say, hey, let us disciple you in the things of God. But I tell you what you wouldn't want, someone who doesn't even believe that it's really a spirit of God, someone that doesn't believe that, that, that someone that's trying to quench the Spirit saying, let me come and mentor you. Be careful where you get your mentoring from. Because God's doing a, a, a thing on the earth. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of what God is really doing. 
If you read the scriptures, one of the things that I think you'll see is the Apostle Paul expected that the gifts were working then, and I believe he expected the gifts would still be working now. And I want to read a scripture to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. He says, Love never ends. That's nice because we're here on earth. God loves us. We go to heaven. God loves us. Love never ends. That thing will continue. And then he says, well, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. It's an interesting list of things that we have there. What do we got? Well, we got prophecy, we got tongues, and we got knowledge. Uh, some people might have an opinion about prophecies and tongues, but I'd ask them, would you continue to declare that knowledge has ceased? <laughs> Not yet. They'd, they'd comfortably say, oh, knowledge continues, but we'll just strike the other two out. I don't think so. I don't think that's a list of things that have currently ceased. I think everyone would say, hey, knowledge still exists. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What's the perfect coming? Jesus. Some of you guys were in the 9 a.m. service and you just said, Jesus, you had an open book test. (laughs) It's Jesus. When the perfect comes. Now, the perfect has not yet come. If he has, we are in so much trouble but he hasn't. The perfect has not yet come. So these things must still be here until Jesus comes back. Of course they are. Why wouldn't they be? We still need the Spirit of God to help us advance the kingdom of God on the earth. The spiritual gifts are there for the common good. They're there to help advance the gospel of God. And so when I read this scripture, I realize, you know what? The spiritual gifts, according to this, they can't have passed away. Maybe eventually when Jesus comes back, why? Well, when Jesus comes back, we probably won't need these things. What we know in part, we'll know in full. But guys, we're not there yet. So my understanding is they still continue today. Why? Because the church needs spiritual gifts to advance the kingdom of God. So I think about this and I think there's a couple of ways to think about spiritual gifts and miracles. And I just want to make sure that we get this thing right. Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples and he gave them the great commission, not the great suggestion, everybody, but the great commission, which applies to all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's actually commanded, which sounds pretty heavy, but he was pretty serious about it. He did give his life for it, everyone. So commanded his disciples to do what? To go out and to preach the good news to everyone everywhere. And he said, See signs will follow those who believe. Now, he didn't say, Peter, these signs will follow you and no one else. He didn't say the signs will only follow the apostles and no one else. And we know that's true because spiritual gifts were everywhere in the church. Hence the reason that Paul wrote the letters. So obviously miracles are everywhere. He said signs follow those who believe. This is where people can get it wrong. I'm following Jesus. Let's imagine that Jesus is over here on your right. If I'm following Jesus, I'm following him, signs are following me. But I'm following. All right, where are the signs? They're behind me, they're in my wake. All right, here's how to get this really wrong. I'm following the miracles, and I'm a few steps ahead of Jesus. Guys, if you haven't figured it out, that's pretty bad, okay? Right? 
I, I, I shouldn't be moving ahead of Jesus. No, no, no. I'm not chasing after signs. I'm not chasing after miracles. I'm going after the things of God and miracles happen as I do it. You, listen, you got to get it in the right order because there are some people maybe with it where they're so excited about the things of the Spirit that they forgot they were meant to be chasing the Word. Do you get what I'm saying? And you know, it's funny because some people, even when it comes to salvation, they say, God's not real. And then they have an encounter with God and they go, no, He is real. And other people would say, there's no such thing as spiritual gifts. And then they get healed and they go, there are such things as spiritual gifts. They just change. Why? Encounter. They had an encounter. Be careful not to develop your theology on this side of your encounter. Because then how can you posture yourself for those things? How can you do it if you don't believe that God's going to move? Or worse still, that you're offended by it. It doesn't make sense to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Pursue love. Because I don't know if you know this, but love is often through how which those gifts are expressed. When you love people, you want to pray for them. When you love people, you want to see these things happen in their life. Pursue love. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may, what? Prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy. The question is, are spiritual gifts for you? Here's Paul writing to not the apostles, but the church. And he says to them, guys, remember, pursue love because that's important. But earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you should prophesy. I feel like for some people, they feel like it's a sin to want to pursue spiritual gifts. Like they're doing something that's wrong somehow to actually want to see these things in their life. Like somehow they're being sacrilegious. But Paul would say to you, no, earnestly desire them. And he says, especially that you may prophesy. Why prophecy? Because prophecy builds up the church. If you should come across a prophet of doom, person that's heralding the end of your life or somebody else's or the end of the world, right? Just give them a wide berth because prophecy in the New Testament is about edification of the church. It's about building up. It's about encouraging. It's about stirring up. That's how we see prophecy in the New Testament. So he's saying you should desire these things. So I look at this and I think, who is this letter written to? God's people. And he's saying, it's okay to desire the spiritual gifts. Now, when I read that, I take that to mean, number one, that it's okay to want spiritual gifts. Number two, that it's okay to actually ask for those spiritual gifts. And here's the exciting part. Number three, that God will give it to you when you ask. Otherwise, why say this? This is here for our benefit. This is here for us to learn. So it's okay to want them. It's okay to ask for them. And if you do, in faith, God will give them to you. Now, I can't guarantee that everyone's going to get the gift of prophecy. A lot of people had it in first century Christianity. I can't guarantee anything. Why? Because it's a manifestation of the Spirit as He wills. I reckon there'd be times where I wish it said a manifestation of the Spirit as Pastor Ben wills. 
have discovered that is not reality. So it's His desire for your life. And when He manifests His presence in your life, you may experience spiritual gifts. Everybody has at least one. It's okay to go after these things. It's okay to want them. But the thing that we need to do first is make sure that we're going after Jesus and then these things are in the wake. So is it okay? Is, uh, uh, let me ask. Are spiritual gifts for you? If you are part of the church, then yes, they are. I think God's plan for your life is for you to have a Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered life and ministry. And to be clear, everyone that follows Jesus is called to ministry. It just looks different in different people's lives. In my life, I'm a full-time pastor, leader church. In your life, you're a business manager and you're pursuing it and, and, and expressing the Kingdom of God where you are. Some of you work retail, awesome. That's where you express the Kingdom of God, where you are. That's your ministry. You know, your ministry is often wherever you are. So where, whatever sporting club you are, workplace you're in, um, you know, group of people you're connected to, your ministry will probably be to the people in that. Why? That's your sphere of influence. And God actually wants to give you some things to enable you to successfully advance the Kingdom of God in that space. Now, if you've ever felt intimidated, maybe worried about what other people will think if you try to move in the spirit, spiritual gifts. And I would say that that has probably happened to almost everybody at some stage. Oh, but what are they gonna say about me? Listen, don't let a fear of man destroy what God wants to do in your ministry. What a killer that would be. God wants to do something, but you're still so worried about what, you know, this guy thinks over there and that guy thinks over there, that instead of actually stepping out in faith, you just keep it all to yourself. Hey, the spiritual gifts are for the common good, not so that you could just do party tricks at home and heal your toe when you stub it. Yeah. It's meant to be so much more than that. So Paul understanding this, he writes a letter to Timothy, who he was discipling. Timothy had uh, inherited the, the largest church of its day. It was a mega church, there's people everywhere, all kinds of things. And he was kind of a, a young guy. And so Paul writes him this letter and he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, do not neglect the gift that you have. I wonder how many of you have a gift that is just lying dormant right now. It's there, it's just neglected. He writes to Timothy, who was a pastor of a church. So don't feel bad if you've done this. He says, don't, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. You got to use it or lose it. You won't actually lose the gift because the gifts are given without repentance. You'll have it, but if it's not functioning, if you don't practice it, it's hard to get good at it. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Well, I feel like in that scripture, Paul was pretty clear, gave Timothy a loving swift kick and said, come on, mate, you know that there's a gift on your life. Why are you not serving the house of God with your gift? Why aren't you using it? Come on, it's time to step up. It's time to stir it up. And you would think a swift kick from Paul would get you moving. Well, Paul wrote a second letter to Timothy. Evidently the first one probably stuck, but maybe not completely because he says in chapter one, verse six, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, which means what? It means that the gift can be imparted, but still be dormant. 
It also means that that gift can be stirred up. It can be stirred up. You gotta stir up the gifts. God has a call on your life. The Bible says, let each person live as they are called. Each person is called. Everybody has at least one spiritual gift. If it's lying dormant, it's time to stir it up because God is doing things on the planet right now. And He's asking His church to be His hands and His feet. I wanna pray for you today. Could you stand to your feet? Some of you might be here this morning and you actually have no idea what your spiritual gift is. Some of you have more than one. There are ministry gifts, there are grace gifts, there are spiritual gifts, each given as a manifestation of the Spirit. Why? To build God's church, to build the house of God. And if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know what it is, I'm talking to you. If you're here today and you know that there's a gift in you, but you have just been leaving it dormant because you've been too worried about what other people think, I'm speaking to you. And this morning, if you want that gift to be stirred up, what I wanna do is just lay hands on you and pray for you and stir it up the way that God wants it to be stirred up. And the idea would be that after this moment, that your life looks different, that you walk out of this place and you use what God has given to you to build His kingdom and extend His kingdom across the earth. Does that make sense? So we're gonna worship together as a church because He's worthy of all of our worship. And if you want prayer for that, I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to come to the front. We're gonna have a team of people that can pray for you and let's stir it up. Amen? Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.